0: With that, y'all ready to dive into the uh, the next installment of Shovel and Spear? All right, let's go. So I want to go with me now to the book of Nehemiah, and we are going to be starting off in uh, chapter 4. Thank you so much, Junior. And we're going to keep picking up where we've been going in this series. Uh, scriptures are going to come up on the screen now. But we are in a season of building here at Lighthouse Church. We are in a season of building. In just a few weeks, we're going to actually start the work of preparing these buildings for construction all right we got some walls to knock down man anybody want to knock down a wall please help me i don't know what i'm doing your pastor's not good with a hammer so we're gonna knock down a wall we're gonna get this place ready and so as we've been preparing our hearts to enter into this season of building we've been looking at the books of Ezra and Nehemiah because that's when the people of God entered into a season of building and I believe that every time we are in a season be it as a church or in our life we look to the scriptures because listen there's nothing new under the sun and what, you've got, what you are going through right now someone else has previously gone through and so we wanna grab wisdom We want to grab truth, and we want to see what God's Word has to say about that. So let's go to Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 16 through 18, and it reads as follows. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction, and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. So they had a weapon in one hand and a tool to build in the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. This was not a normal building project. As you're going to see, we're going to dive into this. But this was not a normal building project. I don't know if anyone works in the field of construction or carpentry, carpentry, but I bet you've never had to work with a, with a piece on your side. You know what I mean? Well, I don't know. Some of you are like, yeah, Pastor, before I was saved, I did. And we'll talk about it another day. But this was not the normal building project. They had a sword and they had a hammer. Okay? And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me for the next few moments i want to talk to you on this thought this is the name of our series and also the title of today's message shovel and spear shovel and spear a tool in one hand and a weapon in the other let's pray now for the hearing of the word father we thank you For everything that has already happened here today, we have felt your presence. The moment we've walked into this parking lot, God, throughout the worship, we've spoken the language of heaven. We've we've communed with you. We've, We've joined with the angels as we cried, holy, holy, holy. And now, God, we open our hearts and our minds to receive what you have to say to us. God, let these words not be mine, but let them be yours. Let everything I say, Lord God, be so drenched with your spirit that it would hit every single heart, touching every single person in a unique and individual way so that they would receive specifically what you have for them today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Clap your hands one last time, Lighthouse. You may be seated. Let's talk about shovel and spear. I'm a big podcast listener. Anybody like to listen to podcasts here? Where are my podcast people? Thank you. I I love listening to podcasts. Driving from South Bay to North County. I live in the South Bay. My family and I were in the process of relocating to the North County. We're coming, Lighthouse. We're coming. Uh, but but we've been driving 50 miles to get the church for the last few months, and uh, it's a great time to listen to a podcast. And so I was listening to this podcast, and the gentleman that was being interviewed, he began to talk about how now in his 30s, he has this, this drive. He, he, he has this drive to outperform. He has this drive to out-hustle. He has this drive to work harder than what is healthy you ever met someone that works harder than what is healthy? It's like the, the, you're working at a pace that's not healthy. If you keep at this pace, you might wreck your marriage. If you keep at this pace, you might lose your children. You guys know what I'm talking about? You ever met someone that just has a drive that is actually unhealthy? It's great that they can do as much as they do. It's great that they can process and produce what they do, but what's the cost of that? What's the toll on that? And so he talked about this, healthy, this unhealthy drive that he had struggled with, and he He went to counseling, and in counseling, they unpacked that it happened based off an experience when he was 11 years old. When he was 11 years old, he went through this experience that put an unhealthy drive on the inside of him. How many of you know that there are a lot of adults that are still dealing with wounds from childhood, from their childhood? Yeah, there's a lot of adults that if you don't work that stuff out, if you don't deal with that stuff, that will stay with you for a very long time long time. Now, I've shared this, that I went through some of that myself. Thankfully, it didn't go with me into adulthood. But I remember when I was in sixth grade and um, the teacher was giving out the gate applications. Y'all had the gate application when you went to school, the gifted and talented education. It was like the smart kids, right? And so the teacher's giving out these gate applications. Go fill this out for your mom. And she's only giving it to the smart kids. It's actually a terrible idea to do this in the front of class, but she's doing it, right? She's like giving all the smart kids their, their their gate applications and I remember she passed me up and I'm like thinking I'm a smart kid so I'm like excuse me (laughs) Mrs. Dunn still remember her name you forgot about me Mrs. Dunn and she looked down at me and I'll never forget she went ah and she moved on that, that was my sixth grade teacher's response to me thinking that I was smart enough to be in gate. And I said, excuse me, you forgot about me. She said, uh, and then she moved on. And with my unsanctified self, I thought your faces, uh, how dare you talk to me like that? But that messed me up. That experience actually messed me up because it told me I'm not smart enough. It told me I'm not a smart person. It, it, it impacted me. So, so when I got to seventh grade, and when I got to eighth grade, and ninth grade, and tenth grade, I thought that there were the smart kids, and then there were the eh kids. And I was part of the eh kids. And so I didn't even try. I, 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 I got eh grades because I thought that's who I was because she said something to me that so marked me that I thought this is who I am. once I got to be a junior in high school, the teacher had hired uh, this brand new teacher. He was coming in. I remember the first day of class showing up, and it's like the principal. Isn't? you remember that when you had to walk into class, and it was like the principal, and you're like, what did we do? This is the first day of school. How could I already be in trouble? What did we do? Teacher explained, you know, we just hired a brand new English teacher, and they will be here tomorrow, so I'm going to just kind of like fill in for the teacher. And so it's kind of an awkward first few days, and then eventually the teacher shows up. And the teacher, I'll never forget his name, and we're now friends on Facebook, his name was Eric Helly. And Eric Helly, uh, I thought he was a great teacher. I got to know him, got to hang out with him, I got to be close with him, and I thought, this is a great teacher, because the very first day of class, he's like bumping music, and I'm like, this is my kind of teacher, because I'm a music guy. And, and, and then finally, um, in, in one of my conversations with me, he got, he got really like uh, confrontational in a good way. He says, Josh. I got a question for you. I'm like, what's up? He's like, why don't you try more? Excuse me? He goes, you're a smart kid, and yet you don't try very hard. And if you just put a little effort into it, Josh, because you are a smart kid, you would go very far. And, and I remember thinking in that moment, I'm not smart. I'm eh. That, that's, that's what I was told. I'm not a smart kid. And he began to speak to me. And his words were completely different than my sixth grade teacher's words. And it so marked me and it so changed me that from that moment on, I only got A's in school. And not just his class, every single subject. I become a straight A student off of that one conversation. So you can look at my freshman and sophomore grades and you do see a very average student. And then you get to junior and senior year. It's like nothing but A's. 4.0 grade point average. Same kid, but I gave my ear and I listened into a voice of someone that didn't see in me what my 11th grade teacher saw in me. And when I listened to the voice of that person, it changed my trajectory. I, 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 it inspired me to go to school it inspired me to finish college it inspired me to get a graduate degree and, and I have a love for reading now my wife she, she, she has this thing that she says to me she says it in Spanish it sounds better in Spanish than it does in English but she said you read so much your eyelids are going to catch on fire uh, again sounds, it sounds weird in English in, in Spanish it works Okay. Um, but I read and I read and I read and I read all of that happened because someone saw something in me and spoke what he saw in my life and, and, and I had for years allowed the negative voice of one teacher to dictate how I would live my life and and, and so that's my own experience of, of when I allowed someone who didn't believe in me to shape who I was becoming. I I allowed a negative voice to to be spoken into my life. And it's so marked the trajectory of my life. And I thank God for that teacher. Because had he not been there, I probably would have continued on with very mediocre grades in junior, senior, and maybe even would have thought college wasn't an option. But I thank God for him. Now, Now, here in the text, I say all that because here in the text, Nehemiah gets to this point while that he's trying to build and, and, and fight at the same time. And we're going to unpack that. And, and it starts here in uh, the beginning of chapter 4 when the enemies find out that Nehemiah is building once again. Listen to what they said. Now when Sanballat, he's the enemy of the Jews in Jerusalem, they had left exile, they're building the walls. Now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry. And greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews, and he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, and I want you to watch his questions. What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? Those questions really got me thinking for a moment. Those questions that he asked had a lot more to do with the posture of his heart than it did with the condition of the Jews at that, po- at that moment in time. Sambala was their enemy, but he knew that if I allow them to finish building the wall, if these jews finish building the wall this is what he said is going to happen it's not that you're just going to finish this wall but they're going to stop being feeble they're going to restore themselves they're going to begin sacrificing again they're going to revive stones out of the heaps of rubbish and even the burned ones you got to understand that what Sanballat saw was different than what many of the jewish builders saw we read in chapter 3 that some of the jewish builders thought it's a wall it's just a wall so much so that some didn't even wanna help in the construction of the wall because in their mind, it was just a wall, a physical structure. But their enemy knew that if they would build that wall again, their shame would be lifted. The enemy knew that if they built that wall one more time, their worship would be restored. Their enemy knew that if they built that wall one more time, the stones would be revived, which I could preach on for another day and another time. But can I just tell you that the enemy knew the significance of what they were building more so than the people who were building it. He understood the effects of what would happen. The Jews didn't see it, but Sambalot saw it. Sambalot, their enemy, he knew their potential, and he knew what they could become. For those of you taking notes, write this down. Sometimes your enemy believes more about you than you believe about yourself. Sometimes your enemy, sometimes the devil, will believe more about your potential than you believe about yourself. You you have one view of yourself, but the enemy knows who God has made you to be. You have one view about your potential, but the enemy knows, man, if that person ever dropped that habit, and if they ever stopped smoking, and if they stopped getting drunk, and if they stopped fooling around and got filled with the power of God, then all of those habits and proclivities and tendencies that they have to do God to do bad, God could redeem it, and those same habits could be used to do good. And the enemy knows that. Remember, my pastor, Pastor Sam, he, he had this saying about someone. I don't mean to put him on blast, but it's, it's, it's a great thing to say. Maybe it's just the way pastors talk. There was a young man at the church, and this young man was extreme. And I loved it because, you know, I was the youth pastor at the church. I'm like, man, if I can get this guy to just be extreme, my pastor said, man, he's either going to be a convict or a preacher. Like, there's nothing in the middle with this kid. Thank God he became a preacher. <laughs> But, but, but the enemy, he, he will sometimes see you and believe more about you than you believe about yourself. And Sanballat saw that if they could just build this wall again, they would begin to restore the power and the glory and the authority that the nation once had before. See, you got to understand, in their history, Israel was at one point in time the greatest nation on the then known world. So much so that the queen of Sheba, the Bible says, Egypt, great nation. We know that. We learned that in history. The queen of Sheba went to Jerusalem to find out what these Jews were building. And the Bible records that when the queen of Sheba saw the opulence, when she saw the excellence, when she saw the might of the army, the Bible says she fainted. Okay, that, that's, that, that's, that's, a, that's a little drama for starters. You know what I mean? <laughs> Women just be <laughs> But But... She looked around and she was like, oh, my God, this is a nation that has it going on. And yet to the Jews, they thought it's just a wall. But to their enemy, they thought they can't become that great nation one more time. We cannot allow them to realize their full potential. We cannot allow them to become who God has already created them to become. You you do realize that God has created you. There's a blueprint and a manual on your life, and God has designed you for a very specific purpose, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. God created you an original. He didn't make you no knockoff. Some of y'all know what knockoffs are. Some of y'all know what they are, right? Some of you walking in the church with a knockoff YSL purse. Praise the Lord. All right. Some of you you brothers walking in with some knockoff Nikes. Praise the Lord. Y'all know what a knockoff is, right? God creates originals and God creates masterpieces. Just know that, okay? So what the enemy will try and do, knowing that you've got great potential, knowing that you've been wonderfully and fearfully made, is he'll start speaking into your ear and try to convince you that you are not that original. And what he will try to do is sell you a knockoff version of yourself when God has created you to be an original. Listen, listen, let me just say this. Not in my notes, but let me talk about this for a second. Do you want to know the difference between a knockoff and an original? You can always tell in the price. Right? Listen, no one is selling you a $50 Louis Vuitton purse. If it's $50, it's not the real deal. You get what I'm saying? Knockoffs are cheap. Cheap. And even good knockoffs, like like really good knockoffs. Yeah, they might sell it to you for 400, but the original version of that knockoff is 1600. You get what I'm saying? You always know when something is original based on the cost. And do you want to know what you cost? Do you want to know the value that God sees in you? Do you want to know how much you mean to God? You mean so much that he was willing to send his son here into this earth so that he can die on a cross to buy you back from the enemy. We There was an exchange that happened at the cross where he exchanged his life for your life. If you want to know how much you cost, you cost the blood of jesus if you want to know how much you're worth you were worth god sending his son to die for us why because you're an original he's not sending his son to die for a bunch of knockoffs he sends his son to die for you because you are worth it tell your neighbor you are worth it the enemy sees your true value and he whispers into your ear the opposite So every time the enemy whispers into your ear, nobody loves you, it's because he knows that you are loved. Every time the enemy says to you, nobody sees you, it's because he knows that everybody sees you. Every time the enemy whispers into your ear that you have no purpose, it's because he knows that God has deposited purpose on the inside of you. He's put his gifts, his callings, and they're without repentance. And he knows that you are somebody in the kingdom of God. So he says, you've got no purpose. You've got no purpose. Do you do you want to know why he does that? Because he's the father of lies. That's what the scripture tells you. And because he is the father of lies, just know know whatever he's whispering into your ear the opposite is true because he can't speak truth he can only speak a lie so every time you feel like there's a negative voice speaking into your ear every time you feel like there's nothing but negativity that is hitting you know that it's just the enemy speaking the opposite of what heaven is saying about you and listen, you cannot listen to the voice of the enemy and the voice of God at the same time. So you've got to make a decision. Whose voice am I going to start listening to? What's the voice that I'm going to allow to speak into my life? What's the voice that I'm going to give authority to? You can't listen to two voices. Pick a voice and, li- pick a voice and listen to that voice. So many times I talk to people, I counsel people. And so many times we've had to shake people off of the fact that they've listened to the wrong voice. Remember, I had this gentleman. He said, hey, Pastor, I want you to come pray for my house. Just feel like there's some unsettling things happening at my house. I said, all right, let's go pray for your house. Let's go be Ghostbusters. Let's do it. Come on. <laughs> I brought the oil with me. Started like praying for every single doorway. Then when we were done, I asked We got into this conversation because I've never met this gentleman. He just went to the church. And the more we talked, the more he began to tell me about the movies that he liked to watch. And he began to tell me about all the filth that he liked to watch. And I said, you brought me in here to pray for this house when you've been bringing all of these other voices into your house and you're wondering why you're feeling like there's bad spirits in your house and you're wondering why there's unrest in your house and you're wondering why your kids are acting the fool and all you're exposing them to is content that is created by the enemy to destroy the souls of humanity. And finally, I thought to myself, I regret praying for this. You don't need prayer. Just turn that trash off. Like, which voice are you going to listen to? You better, ble- I prayed for him, but then I rebuked him. <laughs> it's like, lucky you got the good first, and now hit you with the hard hand. And I told him, don't listen, to, don't, you can't bring that trash into your house. And then wondering, why am I afraid at night? Because you're watching that garbage. You, what voice are you listening to? You can't listen to opposite voices. It's going to leave you into a perpetual place of confusion. And you'll never become the person that God wants you to become because you're allowing his voice to be drowned out by competing voices. And most importantly, lying voices. So I want you to get this in your spirit, Lighthouse. You absolutely control the voice that you listen to. And the enemy knew exactly who they were. The enemy is like, yo, we can't let them finish this wall they could rise up we can't let this enemy build we can't let these jews build this wall because if they do they could go back to seeing the glory that they once lived before that's why the enemies began to attack the builders the bible says that as they were building as they began to build the enemy would start to come to a weak part somebody say a weak part They'd find this wall encompassed the entire city of Jerusalem. They, they would go to an area. And, and, and what I love about the strategy that Nehemiah had was he knew that when the enemy started to attack, he'd blow the horn and everyone would have to run from wherever they were building to come to the weak part. They, they, they'd come with a shovel and a spear, right? Ready to build, ready to fight. And they'd come to that place and they'd have to, to fight the enemy. They'd have to push the enemy back and then start building. And then they'd run. And they did this for 52 days until they built the wall. Fighting on A weapon in one hand and a tool in the other. But look at your neighbor, and I want you to tell them this: tell them you got this. You got. What what, what does that mean, Pastor Joshua? Here, here. Here's what I want you to know. Oftentimes, we view the attack of the enemy as the absence of God rather than the presence of God. Say that one more time. Oftentimes. We view the attack of the, of the enemy as the absence of God rather than the presence of God. Because we have bought into this theology that life is supposed to be easy after we get saved. And we know that you're never going to stop living life. And how many of you know that in life there are going to be good days and bad days? But I also know this to be true. God will never allow you to go through something that is bigger than what you can handle. The Bible says it this way. He'll never give you a burden that is greater than what you can bear he won't do that now that doesn't mean he won't allow you to fight but he won't put you in a fight that you can't win that's the difference that's the difference it doesn't mean that God will not put you into a fight or allow a fight to happen in your life but just know that if God is allowing a fight to happen in your life if you are in a season of warring if you are in a season of opposition if you are in a season of having to fight it's because God saw what the enemy was bringing and because he made you and the psalmist said it this way you made my hands to war because he knows that he has made your hands to war he'll only allow you to fight battles that he knows you can win come on somebody that's the good news right there it doesn't mean you're not going to fight, but when you find yourself in a fight, know that your heavenly Father already knew what the enemy was bringing and said, "No, no, no, He's got this. He's got this. I know that He can handle it. I know that I've made Him greater. I know that He's got anointing, authority. He's prayed up. He's ready to go, and He can handle this fight." And anytime you're in a fight that is bigger than you, you bring that to God, and that's when God steps in. God will absolutely step in and say, "No, no, 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 no. Okay, I got this," and He will move you to the side and. And he will rise up and fight a battle that you can't fight because he is our champion. I said he is our champion. And do you want to know what God's record is? He's undefeated. So every time he steps onto the field to fight on our behalf, just know that victory is guaranteed because he'll never put you in a fight that you can't win. But that does not mean he won't put you in a fight. Those fights will stretch you and develop you and grow you and mature you. He does that because he's made your hands to war. He he does that. And he even tells us in this word. He tells us in his word, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. And then he begins to tell us we, we wrestle against spirits and principalities and wickedness and darkness and high places. He, he, he doesn't say that we're not gonna fight. He actually tells us the type of fighting that we got to get ready for. Look at your neighbor and tell them, you're a warrior. Don't ever forget that, that God God has designed you to war. We do have to war. There is a real enemy. There really is opposition. We do fight a spiritual battle, and you fight a spiritual battle spiritually. Amen? And, And so we learn here through the text that they had to fight and build at the same time I'm going to wrap this up super quick right here I've I've talked to you about about the enemy and how he oftentimes sees your potential more than you do letting you know that when you are in a fight you're in a fight that you can win but can I let me give you three things that are going to help you win okay number one very simple pray first come on tell your neighbor pray first Nehemiah 4 9 says and we pray to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night We don't believe here at lighthouse that prayer is our last option prayer is our first resort Too many of you treat prayer like a last option, but you need to start treating prayer as your first resort James 5 6 says this the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and Effective the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and and effective if you've got a powerful and effective tool why would you not use it James it says prayer is powerful and prayer is effective but many of us don't pray why would you not use something that is effective lighthouse are you getting this I know this is simple this sounds very remedial oh this is very remedial and yet you don't pray we have an effective and powerful tool and James says that when we pray it's powerful and effective. Psalm 334 says this, but you, O Lord, are a shield around me. You are my glory, the one who holds my head high. I like this part right here. I cried out to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy mountain. When's the last time you cried out to God? When's the last time you've been in a position where you've had to cry out to God? Sometimes the only days that God is going to hear from you is when you need something. And listen, while he doesn't mind your requests, you know that you can sit in his presence when there isn't a great need. You know that you can rest in his presence just because that's the presence that you really need to find rest in. As a matter of fact, it's the only presence you're going to find rest in. Many of us are running at a pace that is unsustainable in life, trying to get ours, trying to survive in San Diego, trying to own real estate in San Diego. God help us all. You know what it's like? The only place you're going to find rest is in his presence. And so the Bible says that Nehemiah prayed first. Nehemiah, let me go to 4.13. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall and open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. This is the second thing we do. Set a watch. Write that down. Set a watch. Set a watch. This is what Nehemiah did. When, whenever there was a, 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 an area that was exposed and it was weak, the Bible says he would, they would blow the trumpets and they would come. They'd come and they'd help to protect the weak area and there's an application in there we all have weak areas in our life say that again we all i know some of y'all think you're jesus's first cousin all right made in his image right i have no weaknesses we all have weaknesses and what we must do is set a watch what does it mean to set a watch it means don't do life alone Somebody needs to know what your weak area is. There has to be some people that you are accountable to in your life. They're going to be with you and they're going to walk with you and protect you when you feel like you're all alone. I'm getting ready to come to a close right now. Listen to me, Lighthouse. This is the reason we want you in connect groups. Stop doing life alone. This is the reason we want to put you on a dream team. We're trying to get you around some people because we know that life is going to happen. And when life happens, don't go through it alone. Nehemiah said this is what Nehemiah did he said okay when you see the enemy blow the trumpet and we're going to run over to where you're at a very simple strategy right and yet some of you you start going through hell and you try to fight it alone rather than finding some people who are going to pray with you. Rather than fight some people who are going to fight with you. Rather than find some people that are going to get around you and love you and make sure that, yeah, the enemy's attacking, but he's not going down. She's not going down. I'm determined to not let my brother or my sister fall to this attack of the enemy. Tell your neighbor, set a watch. Y'all, this is very practical. But don't do life alone. Stop trying to do it all by yourself Bible says, confess your faults to one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous man avails much. We, we, we have to find people that we can talk to and share our burdens with. Just say, this is, this is where I hurt. This is where I'm stressed. This is my pain point. And, and I need help. I need help. I need someone to come help me. That's what it means to set a watch. I know I'm saying, I'm resting here because I'm I'm feeling a tug here because there's some of you that are just trying to do it all by yourself. You're you're acting as though your history is your weakness. But unless you can talk about your weakness, that weakness is going to have you bound. It'll hold you. It will absolutely hold you. And you don't start to overcome your weaknesses unless you first identify them. Identify it, share it with someone, and put a plan in place to make sure you don't fall. But put a plan in place to make sure that you're going to stay standing. Uh, the enemy's not going to have his way with you. The enemy's not going to overcome you. And, 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 and a lot of this stuff is just very practical, but you've got to get it. And then Let me go to the last part here. Nehemiah 4.14. And I look and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them, the enemy. Remember the Lord. Look at your neighbor and tell them, remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. So we pray, we set a watch, and lastly, we remember the Lord. We remember the Lord. How do you remember the Lord? You look back on the last time that God brought you out of an incredibly difficult situation, and remember that if he did it for you then, he could do it for you now. If he did it for you back then, he's more than able to do it for you once again. You got to remember the lord this is what i love about jewish history and jewish tradition they every year come back and talk about what god did for them this is what it means to celebrate the passover as the jews continue to celebrate it year after year they remember the night that the angel of death swept through egypt and as that angel of death swept through egypt when they applied the blood of the lamb to their doorposts the death angel passed over them this would allow them to escape out of of Egypt, They left bondage. They left slavery. They were on to the promised land. And it happened at the Passover. And they remember these things and they celebrate these things. This is why I love. Every time they would fight and win a battle, the Bible says that they would get rocks and set up a memorial. Sometimes they would create an altar and then they would name that thing. And then they would tell the next generation. Anytime they wandered and passed by this monument or this altar, they would tell the story. Boy, if you only knew what happened right here. We showed up and we were outnumbered. There was way more enemies than there were us and all we could do is pray but when we began to pray God confused our enemies and instead of them killing us they killed each other. I know it sounds weird but there's nothing that our God can't do. He's the God of the impossible. He's the God of the miraculous. He's the God who can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think of him and you live to tell the story Tell your neighbor, remember God. Remember God. And listen, if you feel like, man, he ain't doing anything for me, then celebrate what God is doing in the life of someone else. Celebrate what God is doing in the life of someone else. Because if he did it for them, he wants to do it for you. This is so powerful. Just the simple act of remembering God's goodness. Whenever we're in a fight... Don't start panicking. Just start remembering. He's going to bring me out. He's going to redeem me. His arm is still stretched out. His arm is still strong and mighty. He is going to bring me out. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, God, for your presence that is here. We thank you, God, because today we are reminded that you are for us. Today we are reminded that you are walking with us. Today, we are reminded that there's nothing that you cannot and will not do for us. So, Father, right now, we one more time remember that you've fearfully and wonderfully created us. You've made an original out of us, God. Created to do good works. Created to declare your glory. Created to point people to the miracles of heaven. And, God, sometimes in life we forget that. And we start believing we are something other than what you created. We, we've subscribed to a knockoff version and not the version you created of us. We've been listening to the enemy. And God, right now we declare that we are only going to listen to your voice. We shut out the negative voices, the lying voices. We shut out the voice of confusion. We bind the spirit of fear right now in Jesus' name. We pray, Lord God, that we would only listen to your voice. Hear what you have for us. And, Father, I pray that as we walk out of this place, that we would remember to do this, Father. First off, to pray. Pray first. When we're in the middle of a fight, pray. Second, set a watch, Father. We would be around people, put people around us so we wouldn't have to fight by ourselves. And finally, God, to remember you. You've never left us. You've never forsaken us. You'll be with us even until the end of time. We thank you, God. We love you, Father. And in Jesus' name we pray.